Hello everybody and welcome to this new episode. My name is Sarah and this is Amsterdamus, the podcast that introduces you to amazing women from Amsterdam. My guest for today has once been described by a friend of mine as a pocket rocket, and I think that is very accurate. She has moved to Amsterdam only in 2020, has found a job, started as a volunteer for a large women's community on Facebook, has proposed to her boyfriend, became a sport instructor, and in case that still wasn't enough for you, she has also bought an apartment, which we all know can be a pain in the you-know-where. My guest for today is Rosa Zhang. Hi, Rosa. Thanks for being with me today. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. 2020 has been quite a roller coaster for you. Let's start at the beginning. What made you come to Amsterdam? Absolutely has been such a big roller coaster. Well, I guess for me, I've always wanted to try leaving London. London is where I call my home, but I've always wanted to try to experience something else, having lived abroad when I was younger. And I knew that the time had come for me to try and explore a different culture, meet new people, have a fresh start in life. Didn't help, of course, with Corona, but I had my partner who I had just become engaged to and I knew that it was the right step for both of us. And so we decided to look. Um, with Brexit, it was quite at the forefront of our minds that Europe was a big destination for us. And especially with my British passport, if I wanted to leave the last year effectively would be the right time. And so actually we had both Amsterdam and Berlin as two very strong candidates, but we had also looked elsewhere in North America and Canada. Um, but having looked at the different options, the type of job market, because I am in the sector of operations, the kind of roles that I would want to find in my next career move and such. And so when I started looking for different types of jobs, what kind of exciting startups there were in those three countries, I decided that Actually, Amsterdam was the best choice. And of course, as an expat, 30% ruling plays a very big role. And I knew that it would be a decision, an adventure, an experience for both of us. And that's effectively how we chose Amsterdam. And actually, with the way that the job market worked, I started looking at LinkedIn around March, I guess. Uh, March, April, and had pretty much straight away found Picnic. Um, and I was also searching uh, on LinkedIn for jobs in Berlin as well. And whilst a lot of people say that the startup scene in Berlin is very strong, I found that Amsterdam was equally strong. And with the vision and the future prospects of Brexit, there were a lot of prospering startup scenes in both countries. And having had my background in operations and FMB, food and beverage industry, basically typed into Google, what are the hottest startups in Amsterdam? Came up the first one as Picnic. I thought, okay, don't know what this is. This is before I moved to Amsterdam and realized how big Picnic was. And looked up the different roles there and saw operations manager and thought, well, This is basically an amalgamation of all of my previous roles into one and thought 
this is perfect. And having researched the company further, it was, it, and it is a very exciting time to join the company. And when I got the offer, I thought, well, this couldn't have happened at a more perfect timing if it tried. So your job was already secured before you arrived in Amsterdam. But how was it to relocate in times of COVID-19? Having always been a very thorough planner, um, once I had the role secured, I knew, I mean, w with a job contract, it makes everything else easier, of course. So it was actually very easy for us to look on Funda to find a flat to get the contract. And with the with the flat contract as well as the job contract, I thought, okay, surely even Corona won't hamper too much of a move. Um, but then, yeah, we decided to look at different options of moving, whether we fly, take the train, any kind of options available. And uh, of course, things weren't easy um, because back then, so this was around May that we had found the flat and we were thinking of moving in July. I looked at flight options. It was insane that there were around, for example, 10 flights from London to Amsterdam every day. I was like, there is no way people are flying this frequently. Um, and I knew that there would be some cancellations of flights and we couldn't risk that. So then we thought, okay, what about trains? Eurostar conveniently had decided to postpone London to Amsterdam trains for the foreseeable future at that time. So I thought, okay, how are we going to get there? Thankfully, um, a, uh, a van with a man type of guy that I had used since my university days from London to Manchester and uh, thereafter came to my rescue and said, yeah, not to worry, I will drive you guys to Amsterdam. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and that's, that's exactly how it happened. Um, it's not the biggest of vans. Uh, so the three of us squeezed in pretty tight uh, and went through Eurotunnel. Um, each step of the way, I, I don't know, I, I expected someone to stop us saying, hey, where are you going? Why are you going? And I thought, okay, surely if we have all the papers and everything, it would work. Um, and every time, you know, even when we were in Amsterdam and we were driving to the flat, because everything had been too easy, you know, yeah, of course there are roadblocks, but comparatively it had just been, everything had been so smooth and even with the flat as well. So I thought, okay, we're in Amsterdam, but surely. When we get to the flat, there will be something wrong. Like I'll open the doors and I don't know, the, the flat will not be as it said on the photos or something like that. And I, I, nope, everything was as it should have been. It was, it was smooth. It was great. It was a lot of work and it was actually very, of course, tearful to say goodbye to my friends and family, not knowing when next I would be able to come back to London. Um, and we somehow made it. You know, London and Amsterdam, it's only 45 minutes by plane. And it's been a journey that I haven't been able to make since. But, you know, silver lining that we at least were able to move. I think this is literally the smoothest story about relocating to Amsterdam that I've ever heard. So congrats on that. Did you experience a culture shock when you moved to Amsterdam? And in which way is life different here compared to England? I know, right? It's It sounds surreal on so many levels of how easy, smooth, insane 2020 was from start to finish. So yeah, I, I count my lucky stars, I guess. And I really hope that I haven't used up all my lucky, I don't know, pot of uh, my lifetime on just one short year. 
culture shock. Wow. Um, I mean, for sure, definitely. I think that I haven't been able to find too big of a differences yet, but definitely the small ones. Maybe it's not so much of a culture shock. Uh, well, you and the listeners can be the deciders in that. I noticed that everyone, okay, maybe not everyone, a lot of people love mayonnaise. Mayo is a, it's a, it's a thing that you cannot fathom to eat without for lunch in Holland. Because I work at Picnic and I'm in operations in a fulfillment center, which means that both sides of the coin, but I, I go into work five times a week. And so it's really helped with my integration into Amsterdam, Holland, as well as Dutch people in really getting to know how they live, uh, how they behave. And the first thing I noticed is how much mayo they eat um, and put in everything, of course, as well as bread and cheese, but really mayo because, oh, I don't know about you guys, but in England, it's all about ketchup. So just putting it out there. Something else. When we were walking around, I really noticed that there are a lot of key shops like, you know, the places that you can get the keys cut, slutels? For some reason, they're everywhere, it seems like, in streets of Amsterdam. Um, so not so much of a culture shock, that, but more of a an observation as a newcomer. Um, something else that a lot of people have often suggested and pointed out that I have definitely felt true is the directness of the way that the Dutch people communicate. The British are famous for their politeness um, and the way that they package their opinions as to uh, simply put to try to never offend anyone. I didn't actually think that was a specifically British trait until I came to Amsterdam. I mainly work with Dutch colleagues and they're absolutely wonderful but uh, I noticed that there are different ways in communicating. I uh, myself personally do um, smile a lot and always come across very positive so maybe I am I don't know always more nicer than could be should be but I have definitely noticed that the way that the Dutch people communicate or have asked questions is a lot more direct and to the point definitely do not beat about the bush Um, and that I found actually also very refreshing but at times have had to you know, pause and think that, yeah, they're not mad at me. They're not trying to inquisition me. They're actually just trying to get their point across in the most efficient space of time possible. So they're kind of the things that I have noticed so far. The other culture shock that I find absolutely beautiful and amazing is how we cycle around everywhere. Oh, I absolutely love it. London, as you know, is very big. I live relatively central London, but depending where you live and where your friends are and the places that you go out to, it means a tube or a bus, minimum half an hour, but usually 45 minutes. And in Amsterdam, I am happy to report that that is not the case. And actually having moved um, in beginning of July until now, I have not taken the tram nor the bus once. It's always been bike, whether it rains or is windy or both. Um, and and or been uber but uh, very rarely so and i just absolutely love that about amsterdam it's such an amazing part of the dutch culture and one that i fully embrace in it's funny that you mentioned the the mayonnaise i personally was very surprised about the 
Dutch type of lunch. I remember seeing grown men in, in business suits eating toast with Haraslach. For those who don't know what it is, it's like a, a chocolate sprinkle that's actually <laughs> meant for children. And it looks hilarious if you have a group of businessmen eating that. Yeah, I think those are really things to, to get used to. And I think all the experts can relate to that. And speaking of experts, you also shortly after your arrival in Amsterdam joined GGI on Facebook. For those who don't know, would you like to explain what it is and what GGI does? Okay, so GGI is um, a Facebook group that is present in over 160 communities around the world, stands for Girl Gone International. And it is mainly present through Facebook as well as Instagram and on its website, but mainly uses Facebook as a medium to connect, empower and network, give friendships between women uh, all around the world. It's an amazing community that I'm almost disappointed that I found it so late, but better late than never. And the story of how I became involved is quite a funny one. So two summers ago, um, a friend of mine uh, from a while ago, way back when in summer camp, shout out to Anastasia, had asked if she could bring a friend to my uh, flat party. And I said, of course, the more the merrier. And that girl was Sky. Back then I had no contacts, no nothing, hadn't even heard of GGI. Fast forward to last summer, when I had told Anastasia that I was moving to Amsterdam, she said, hey, remember the girl that you had met in at your flat party? Yeah, she runs this Facebook group for expat women and I think you would enjoy it. And I said, yes, of course, that would be amazing. And actually, until that point, that concept of making new friends hadn't quite reached out to me. I, I had a few friends in Amsterdam already, um, and I had, but I hadn't really thought in concrete terms how I would be making more friends. This is the first time that I've moved abroad in a professional manner for a career move, because, you know, of course, if you're moving academic for academic reasons so for university you go to a different city or you do a year abroad you are always introduced within that academic context with the same classmates and so you're automatically placed with a bunch of friends or a bunch of people that you can choose your friends from but for a career move you don't yes of course you, your your work colleagues can be your friends but they're that's not your everything and i hadn't really thought about how I would be making friends, especially in Corona. And and that's why I thought, okay, Facebook. Hmm. Yeah, not really sure who still uses Facebook, but all right, let's let's get into it. And uh, and and I got to know Gigi a lot better because through Sky, she's a co-community manager there. Or at that time she was the only community manager. I got to know her better and I found my community and my tribe. It is literally a life savior for me. It is the platform that allowed me to really meet such a diverse and amazing group of women from all walks of life, from all different types of countries, backgrounds. And it's been able to open my eyes and my ears and my heart into absorbing so many different types of cultures that I would never have thought possible otherwise. And I honestly cannot be thankful enough for GGI. How I got more involved. So at the beginning, I thought, okay, this is amazing. I am meeting so many amazing women. But uh, yeah, why don't we just organize a picnic? And that was back in the summer when Horika was open. Life was beautiful. Corona was kind of on pause. And I organized a picnic. It went swimmingly well. And I had mentioned, hey, well, it seems like you love doing events and connecting people. Why don't you try being an event manager if you'd like? And I said, of course. Yes, please. And as I was doing more of those, 
Sky and I really connected on a much deeper level and the talks then became of me maybe helping her out with moderation of posts, um, approving members and really creating that community and networking, connecting different people so that they also very much feel at home in Amsterdam. And I said, hell yeah, I would love to be co-community manager in Amsterdam with the GGI and I haven't looked back and it's been the most amazing time. So at that point, you already had a full-time job and you had just become a volunteer for GDI. But then you decided this is still not enough and you became an instructor for Jungle Buddy. Can you explain what that is, how you came across it and why you decided to become an instructor? I guess um, I've always been somewhat of a very busy body trying to fill my time. There's a bit of a backstory to this as well, I guess. Um, I am a very social person, outgoing person, and I take my friendships and my network very seriously. And as a result, I have been very busy meeting friends, catching up with friends, making new connections. Coupled with this, I've actually struggled a bit with alcohol. Um, I've loved alcohol of all different types, find everything delicious, wine, cocktails, spirits, And I guess after 10 years, a dependency sort of formed as a habit, you might call it. And my problem was that moderation didn't work. After one drink, I wanted more. It needed to be more. And if not, I would create situations where I could have more. So, for example, if I'm meeting a friend after work, of course it's going to be in a bar. Why would it be coffee? Coffee I've been drinking all day. And because I'm so social and so outgoing and I'm meeting friends all the time, it then became a drink every time I met a friend. And maybe that was five to six times a week. And if I couldn't stop at one glass of wine, maybe it was a three glasses of wine, it might be fine if I was meeting a friend or going out once or twice a week. But at some point it became six times a week. When it was university, when it was master's, my year abroad, Nah, it's fine, it's fun, it's what uni students, it's what young twenties uh, uh, people do. But after a while, a lot of my friends became, you know, a bit more sensible, so to speak, or toned down a bit. But rather, I kept it up or even put it up the notch, I guess. And after a while, I thought, okay, I think I... It's a bit over the top, isn't it? Let's let's try and cut it down. But I, I tried all different types of moderation, actually. I tried the drink one glass of wine and drink a glass of water or count the number of drinks I'm having throughout the night to try and keep count and really make myself accountable for the amount of alcohol that I'm drinking. And you know what? For me, it, it didn't work. I applaud and I'm very jealous of people who can say no after a glass or two or go absolutely crazy a couple of times a year or a couple of times a month, but then on the other times, don't feel the need to have to drink. Whereas for me, it became to a point where social occasions and alcohol became so intertwined that I couldn't see it apart. And having seeked therapy for a while where moderation didn't work, I thought, has it come to this? Has it come to where I have to go, or at least try going teetotal. And the surprising thing is, is maybe, so I, yeah, maybe in the summer, it was absolutely unimaginable that I would even consider teetotal, that I even consider 
using the word going sober, but I it came to a point where I was ruining relationships and I was pushing people away or I was waking up with so many regrets and mistakes and I thought, okay, moderation didn't work and maybe maybe it's about time to say goodbye having been drinking wonderfully and having made really, really great memories for the past 10 years. And I want to remember it with fond memories and no longer be ashamed or embarrassed or, you know, forget who I spoke to or who I have to apologize to. You know, all those embarrassing memories of having had one too many drinks. So I thought, okay, it's come to that point. I'm going to have to try it. Maybe, maybe it won't work, but I don't know until I try. And it's really one day at a time. I decided today I'm not going to drink. And the next day I did exactly the same. Don't. I decided because people asked, oh, so when are you going to do it until if I put a time limit of one month or one year, it would be counting down to days. You know, that's what that would that is what would keep me going. And that is what I would continue to hold on to so that at the end I can absolutely binge drink and swim in wine until there's no tomorrow. And that's not what I wanted to do. That's not how I wanted to build up my mindset. I know of my addictive personality with regards to alcohol. And I knew that if that is the kind of goal or aim that I had, it wouldn't be constructive for me in the long term. And actually, really, all I wanted was to try and test it out day by day because I genuinely couldn't see how I would be able to do it. And instead, I thought, you know what, let's make it building Lego blocks almost. Every day that I don't drink is a win for that day and slowly build up instead of counting down. And that's kind of the attitude that I adopted. And I am currently 112 days sober with absolutely no side effects, no nothing whatsoever. Even my therapist says, how are you doing it? How could you go cold turkey like that after being so dependent on it? For me, I guess it wasn't a physical dependency. It was very much a mental one. Of course, mental is just as strong as physical. I didn't get the shakes. I did, it's not that I reached for the, the bottle as soon as I woke up in the morning, but I classify it just as strong of a mental hold alcohol had within me. And once I decided to cut it off, once, you know, the whole just one glass, you know, it, it wasn't even an option. It made it so much easier for me to say, you know what? Coffee, water, different types of soft drinks are just as good. So that's a very long story of... Uh, not even at the jungle body part yet, actually. But yeah, so once I decided to try being sober, uh, I was actually also very scared of how I would feel, how I would react when I was offered a drink or when I would be in social situations. And in that sense, Corona has been such a blessing in disguise. I miss clubbing like crazy, but without clubs, without festivals, without house parties, or all of these things, it has meant that it is so much more of an intimate setting with friends where we're all on similar level without doing shots, you know? It's not like I'm back at uni and that's kind of what everyone does, so I would feel very on a different level. And But at the same time, I knew that I wanted to pursue a different type of activity or a hobby where I would still feel fulfilled, an escape, if you want to call it, but more of a uh, putting my time and effort and energy into something a lot more constructive. I scroll through my phone enough as it is. I am on Facebook, thanks to GGI, but or on Instagram or, you know, those 
but beyond that meaningless scrolling that I knew I didn't want to spend my time on because I'm not I don't know seeing a friend for example and so I knew that if I wanted to use my time productively that it was time for me to pick up a hobby or something else and coupled with that I've always been very active in the fitness and classes front I've always been very passionate in teaching in I guess passing on what I know what I can pass on to suit different people and I've always been on the lookout for being qualified in a type of an instructor and at that time at the right place, um, Justine, the founder of Jungle Body Amsterdam and Holland, um, who's also a GGI, offered the opportunity for me to train as an instructor for Jungle Body. So what is Jungle Body? It is an Australian company um, founded uh, many years ago that is now a very, very successful franchise all over the world where it offers different styles, different types of dance that is very much a workout, but also for the mind and soul. So it is very much a lifestyle um, and really gets your cardio and your adrenaline pumping, but with such good feels. The type of music, the very easy to follow cardio tracks, but doing it all together in a very dark room. Honestly, it's the best parts of clubbing, dancing, loud music, pumped up everyone doing I don't know going crazy in a fun great energizing workout way at the end of it you feel so so good so they offer many different types of programs and I decided to qualify in two of them and start being an instructor whereby I can teach in classrooms and that's kind of how I came across it really um I I knew I wanted some sort of a different type of side hustle at, as well as my day-to-day -day job um, but yes, on top of being a crew community manager of GGI, it is a lot. So I, the next thing for me is learning how to juggle all of that. Because I guess ultimately my career is very important to me. And that at the moment is my role as ops manager in Picnic, which I absolutely love and have. Yeah, and that, that's kind of where I see my career and uh, my future with. And so the other type of activities that I want to pursue Let's just say I like keeping busy on top of, of course, having um, the whole flat situation of moving into and all of these things. So I think time is so precious. It is all up to you how you use it. And I'm just choosing it to use it where I don't even have time to blink. But hey, each <laughs> to their own. And uh, you do you, but I'm going to do me. Rosa, thank you so much for being so honest and for sharing this story with us. I believe that it's very important to openly speak about such kinds of problems. And now you are 112 days sober, which is great. Keep it going like this. I'm convinced that you can do it. I very much believe in you. And you said that now you're keeping so busy that you cannot even blink. But there's also your fiancé, which I'm sure also claims a bit of your time. How did you guys meet and how did you propose? Ooh, our love story. Okay, it is a pretty cute one. Um, all right, are you ready? So we actually met in 2012. Uh, no, apologies. We met in 2013. I had been there since 2012 in Beijing for my year abroad. And Jonas came for his semester abroad in 2013. I had had the most amazing first semester in Beijing in that university, uh, Tsinghua. And I was determined to have just as much fun, if not even of a better time in second semester. So I was basically on the lookout for pretty cool friends that I could make even more memorable memories with. 
and lo and behold Jonas walked into one of the classes that I was taking with another very good friend and I thought all right they seem two pretty cool people they are going to be my new friends and that's how the rest of the semester went um we were all a, a big group of really really great friends that I'm still very close to and we just kept up the friendship he went back to Sweden I went back to Manchester and after that we kept in touch for a few years and in 2016 we started dating it happened very naturally where we would you know exchange messages here and there and uh, the timing was right we were both working i was working in manchester later on in london he was working in hamburg in germany at the time and it was pre-corona days so a long distance relationship was very feasible we would do a weekend in manchester in london a weekend in hamburg or a weekend in between paris rome other places hong kong cyprus and it was honestly the most magical two years of long distance. But as all long distances go, there needs to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, as romantic as long distance uh, rom weekend getaways are flying after work on a Friday. If the plane is delayed as well, landing after midnight, not ideal. And then on top of that, you have to go home Sunday night or Monday morning. Either way, very tiring. And therefore, um, Jonas took the leap to come over to London and that's where we lived together for two years. And yeah, and that's kind of where I will leave it. But I did propose to him beginning of last year in Kenya. And so it's just been a very magical journey with Jonas for four and a half years, soon to be five this year. And uh, yeah, let's let's see what the future holds for us. Are you stressed out by the idea that you have to bring all the family members from Sweden, the UK and Korea to one table? You said earlier that you're luckily quite a good planner, but I have to admit even the idea of organizing such a big event freaks me out. Agreed. I mean, there's so many cultures clashing, mixing, trying to be together, which actually never occurred to me as much. And do you know what really surprised me about myself having moved to Amsterdam it's how much I've missed being surrounded by international people cultures friends and everything of course don't get me wrong London is my home and the the people that I know are friends that I've grown up with for a very long time or from different walks of life and British people of course are fabulous great and polite but there's something that I've really missed of having I've lived in uh, Paris when I was very young and I went to international school and then being in Beijing for the year where there are so many different types of cultures where I really enjoyed it and I must have to a degree taken that for granted and after a while settling in London I had forgotten about that sort of excitement and that sort of culture clash almost and then having moved to Amsterdam through GGI of getting to know so many different types of people I really realize that this is part of me that was missing for a long time that has been reawakened and that's something that I love thriving and take that kind of culture clash with excitement to try and learn more. That's putting it in an excitement level but of course it at the same time there are downsides where I have to always be the one to explain further and try and find the way where you know when people ask me so where are you from and i'm like okay i'm from london and they're like yeah but where are you really from and uh, well you know if you catch me on a bad day i say hey if i say i'm from london i'm from london that's kind of how much information i'm going to give you and that's what you're going to have to take from me and so i have had growing up these 
types of questions where, where am I really from? But you know what? Does it really matter? I am a Korean who has lived in many different countries, but primarily in UK and therefore consider myself British at the same time. And now getting this mix of this Dutch culture with my international friends, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm a bloody great, delicious source of all sorts of different things. And I love the fact that my fiance is Swedish and also learning about his culture. It's going to be an absolute jumbo mumbo. But I am loving it. What are the learnings that you're taking from 2020? And what are your goals and plans for this new year, apart from the huge wedding coming up? I guess there's been a lot of talk, insight and reflection from everyone about 2020. What an eventful year it was and how it was of suffering, of loss, of everything in between. Whilst at the same time, for the people who have lived to tell the tale, to put it mildly. And for people like myself, who has been very fortunate, I am not going to deny that in any way, shape or form, where I haven't really had any major impact or downsides of what others have experienced. For me personally, it's been such an amazing year for self-discovery and self-development. What have I learned? It's really to stay true to yourself. I've gone through so many transitions, different phases of indecisions, of not knowing which path I want to take, of knowing there's so many options and which one is the best to take. Am I going to regret taking this decision as opposed to the other one? And I've always had the mantra of no choice is a bad choice or no experience is a bad experience as long as you learn from it. And what I've added to that is stay true to yourself. Do you, be you and stay you. And with every change or with any monumental decision or experience that comes your way, learn to adapt. And as long as you survive for the better, I think that's then you're pretty acing in life. So that's kind of what I've taken from 2020. What are my goals and aspirations for 2021? It's to really excel in my career as well as settle into Amsterdam, see where the path takes me with my various different projects coming up. I'm very excited about that. The wedding actually won't be this year. It, it, it was meant to be for the long engagement. Uh, and so we're thinking for next year. Let's see. First of all, Corona needs to be over. Life needs to get back to normal. I can't wait to travel again, but mainly I've truly realized how important self-development or self-insight is. I've always been interested in learning more about myself and how to improve, but never to this extent have I been pushed and I don't want to lose momentum. So here we go, 2021. Rosa, thank you so much for being with me today and for sharing your story with us. I'm pretty sure you have inspired a lot of people. And I wish you the best of luck with all your projects in this year. And personally, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I truly actually really enjoyed this experience of explaining myself and my journey. And I really hope that I've, I don't know, um, uplifted and opened eyes for some who maybe were not too sure on which path to take. Try it first. Until you try it, you really won't know. And hey, if you fall, get back up and there will be so many others rooting for you. So 
Thank you very much, Sarah. Look forward to many more adventures and journeys of 2021. And this also marks the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Stay tuned if you want to meet more amazing women of Amsterdam. And please don't forget to follow Amsterdamus on Instagram. Thanks and take care, everybody. Bye.